0: Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Generational Archives, the show where we connect, heal, and uncover through intergenerational conversations and archival research. And part of that intergenerational conversation is what we do ourselves as hosts. I'm Dr. Reina J. Leon, and I'm your scholar, your creative, your Intuitive researcher as well as playful person, person who convinces my mom to do some things like this thing. So I'm with Dr. Norma D. Thomas. Mom mom, how are you gonna introduce yourself today, mommy?
1: Well, after that enthusiastic beginning, I am the mother, half of the mother-daughter duo, and I welcome you to another podcast where Happy to have you and hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far.
0: I I love that you had a question in duo as if we were multiple people. Like, duo? I think that's where a duo. (laughs) So up until this point, you have traveled with us through introductions, through learning uh, about Uncle Francis and Granny and my grandmother, Queen Esther and Aunt Doris. And we've also gone along to learn about the Traveling Museum of Black Fayette County. So Fayette County being the county in western Pennsylvania and the emphasis on the black history of that space. And now we're going to talk to you about going on the journey. So one journey that we took to do research together was to South Carolina. And we did actually two trips. One In 2019, in December or so, November, December. And we did that trip with my toddler and me being pregnant with my baby, um, now a toddler. And then we did a second trip just a year ago in 2022. And in that trip, we um, went by ourselves, but we made some stops along the way. Both times, we actually stopped in Richmond to see my Aunt Renee. Uh, but this last time, we learned a lot more about her story of discovery. So, in this episode, we're going to talk to you about going with questions and being open to discoveries along the way. So, I want to open with a story of going to South Carolina first, that first time. And we traveled a very interesting path, the back roads from Western Pennsylvania through West Virginia and Maryland and Virginia and all the way um, through North Carolina and and South Carolina. And on those roads, uh, there was one sign along the way that made at least me quite uncomfortable, which was seeing a U.S. post office in these back roads. And it was flying not the American flag. It was flying the Confederate flag. And I remember being like, what? (laughs) Where are we going? (laughs) Um, But we went down the way and we stopped with my Aunt Renee and then went on to South Carolina. And on one of those uh, days that we were there, we were looking for a cemetery and we couldn't find it. And I remember Asking silently our ancestors, saying over and over again, Ancestors, we want to know you. Help us to know you. And I've told this story many times of how the wind rose up and the dust unsettled from its place on this two-lane highway and the trees, the tall trees, waved in that strength of a breeze and they wandered and what you saw, Mommy, was this small sign for Lockhart Baptist Church what you remembered was a place that many of our ancestors had been buried. In fact, we learned later that one of our ancestors had helped to found it. And you asked me, Raina, should I turn around? And I said, yes, mommy, turn around. And you whipped that car around this two-lane highway. And we went to Lockhart Baptist Church and saw the plaque with one of our ancestors' names on it as a founding um, member of the church how it had begun, later we learned, as a hush arbor, how it had begun from land that was um, crafted from, culled from the lands of the people who had formerly enslaved our peoples. Uh, Our our ancestor was named Harry Logan and found the burial places of many of his children and extended family in a very well-maintained cemetery, highly regarded small church but the cemetery was um, impeccable and which shows the care and the regard of the community that persists for our ancestors Um, and I remember too being with my son and there being this small butterfly decal that had just flown on the wind to the cemetery and landing in the there and it seemed like this small gift from the ancestors towards my son he didn't touch it per se or play with it but it seemed like a perfect connection for the child there and i remember him not wanting to leave um and him being comfortable in the most uh, the oddest of places to me a cemetery but him not wanting to leave this place and i i do feel that he felt the safety of of welcome um and so that story as one uh, indicator of being open to our ancestors, being attentive to signs and also open uplifting our questions and our invitations to our ancestors. So do you have any special stories from at least that first travel down to South Carolina?
1: Well, the first travel, you... Describes silently asking the ancestors to reveal themselves. I remember yelling out the window. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and saying that my people, this land should belong to all my people because from my mother's side, both sides of her family were descendants of slaves. So I said, this land is my people's land. This is my land, my people till this soil and I'm yelling out the window. And it seems to me that is when we found the sign appeared for Lockhart Baptist Church. And I knew that my however many great-grandfather had been the founder of this church from land that was was deeded over to him by the son of the slave master, if mm-hmm. I remember right. correctly. Right. So we—and I did ask Ray if we should try, you know, turn around, and I did whip this car around in the middle of the road— and we did get to the church, and we we've talked about maybe coming back on a Sunday sometime yes. to be able to attend the church. But a lot of family members are are there from from all sides, and I believe we were looking for the White graveyard, right, which we've right. still yet to find. But but uh, we spent a lot of time with my grandson walking through graveyards Mm -hmm. because we visited where my grandmother is buried in that graveyard, which was not uh, the same church. It's a different church. And we spent time walking through cemeteries and taking pictures and and looking at relationships Mm -hmm. all around um, Saluda uh, County. So that was an interesting trip that my grandson participated in as well. But that, that memory, I do actually remember being on that road also when we found that church. And, and I th- believe the second time we went down, we also went back to Lockhart.
0: So whether it's silent or very loud to the land, to the wind, to the air, to any other listeners, call out to your ancestors, call out, um, and they will answer. I, I truly believe that um, there will be a rising as you- Well,
1: they've been answering since we've been doing this podcast. Absolutely. Because stuff keeps appearing that never appeared before.
0: Right. Um, and I think that that's pointed to, like, harken back to one of our previous episodes with Aunt Doris, right? So uh, us starting on this journey sharing what we know and now i have googled aunt doris's name doris rubottoms several times and had these amazing discoveries of her being mentioned in book after book at library of congress records for films and productions and i knew she was famous but like now I'm understanding, a lot more famous. And even her husband, you found out, had a, a lease on a club.
1: A nightclub in Newark.
0: See, like we're finding all these these this information just by going on this journey. I I hope that you all who are listening will also go on the journey and have these incredible discoveries for yourself. Please share them with us too, whether it's on Instagram or finding me on on the twitter or the book of faces and so on to share what you've learned along the way um i want to transition us back into the trips to south carolina and what the first trip that we made as well as the second one of our stops was to the south carolina historical archives the state archives that are in columbia and i'm curious mommy what your experience was there
1: well, the the first thing I would say to anyone doing archival research is to be prepared. Yes. One of the great gifts that I was given by a family member very early on in doing genealogical research was being organized. And she showed me her collection of information on the family and the notebooks and all the things that she had collected and they were in date order and name order and I learned from her to be organized. One of the side issues that is also sad is when she died all that information did not pass to family that I understand that the family member that did get the information did not value it, and threw it all away. So that's a continued theme, too, to make sure that your information goes to someone. But she did pass on what back then were some floppy disk, mm. and she did copy a lot of things, so I was able to get a good start on research in the Thomas family. But be organized, because one of the things that the archivist said at the at the, uh, research center was that usually people come in and they don't know what to ask for. And he could see that I had this information that was pulled together. So people are, at those places are very helpful. They mm-hmm. will help you look through information. That's what they do. And we went there two times yeah. and, and you learn a great deal from looking at those official records.
0: And there's so much that you discover along the way, too, where the first time I remember putting one of our ancestors' names into the records, and if it wasn't me, it was you, one of us made this discovery of Harry Logan's information in, um, in the newspaper, which spoke to um, the founding of a school, if I remember correctly, and so, but that was just this wonderful discovery of a search engine and the records. Um, I, I I can't think of any other um, specific things that emerged from being at the archive. Can you, Mommy?
1: Oh, I, I'm trying to think. There were a few newspaper articles right. that we couldn't necessarily attach to a person in the family tree, But they were generally the family name to, you know, when we went to Saluda, we we received a lot of information on the deeds and the property that the family had owned and and realized that the two sides of my mother's family, who in my head somewhere I thought they didn't get along. But when I looked at the deeds and property records and the fact that one side – they were um, Harry Logan was a blacksmith and Pinckney Saddle White was a blacksmith and they were contemporaries and one bought the property of the other. And mm-hmm. we actually saw where they lived So they lived next to each other and were probably actually related. They uh, they got along very well. <laughs> so wherever in my head I thought they didn't get along. They they did, and and property passed back and forth between them, and 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 so we found a very very different story, including the fact that these people came out of slavery with property.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, well, and and that's one thing that the state archives allowed us was that. The state archives have digitized versions of many, many deeds, as well as maps and property um, um, surveyor uh, records and so on, and that only goes back so far. Same thing for birth certificates and death certificates. It only goes back to a certain point. If your ancestors were born or transferred property before that point, what the state can do is say, here is... Where it should be, the the um, county courthouse, where it should be, and at least in, in South Carolina, sometimes the county lines change, and so you have to know which office still holds those records because the county's extended or or retracted, and so um, the deeds may be at different places. So the archives, the state archives, also gave us the location for where we could find um, state or deed information for the Saluda courthouse and even gave us the contact information for that courthouse. Because, of course, we're doing this research during COVID and um, the impact of the pandemic and you just can't show up. At an office, in the same way, for a long time, those offices were closed. And so we did a lot of calling ahead of time to make sure that we actually could show up or if we needed to have an appointment. So in our cases, um, it was very much we could still come at at, at our leisure and and they would give us the hours. But it's important to think about the limitations now on the ability to have access to public records Mm -hmm. So when we went to the Saluda courthouse, we were able to just sign in and say what we needed and look up by name, which was super useful. These massive um, codexes of deeds, they're huge, and but they're incredibly organized. And one thing that you spoke to of the the familiarity between the families was seen within the deeds themselves of... You know, things like sold for five dollars with love and affection that's written on deeds. Mm-hmm. So that love is scripted in an official manner within the, the courthouse records. Right. So fantastic to unpack and challenge even the oral history of like, oh, there must have been some or the intuition. There must have been some some difficulty between the families. No, the deed says something different.
1: I want to go back to our first trip down to South Carolina, and that is when we went to see my cousin. Yes. And my aunt, my mother's sister, had an old trunk, and I had been through that trunk many times and pulled a few documents from it, took some pictures, but did not get an extensive family history by looking through that trunk. This time we go look through the same trunk and two pieces of information jump out. One that in, in other stories I've told about my mother's birth certificate being changed for, uh, family reasons, they they officially changed the birth certificate so that the people who raised my mother were listed on the second birth certificate versus her original birth certificate that has her parents. So we found, I, so you hear that story, but you didn't have verification of it. And at the time, one of the first pieces of information we see is this changed birth certificate for my Aunt Bernice. And I've since now received the changed birth certificate of my mother because I wondered if it actually existed. So it did. They got it changed. Somebody knew somebody at the courthouse and got this birth certificate changed. The other piece of information was a whole document that was created for a family reunion that lists the family history. Mm. This, I think, was at the top of the trunk. And I had never seen this before. And so we have since uploaded it to Ancestry so other people could benefit from this information. But all of a sudden now, here is this whole family history that is written out for us that I never saw before.
0: And I love that history. It's like this 20-some page document. And I remember reading through... And there was this one line that said, and the family was known to do witchcraft. And I was like, what? <laughs> I need to know everything about that. That's so fascinating. Haven't figured out what the, the thoughts are behind that yet, but I'm definitely drawn in. The one thing that I want to mention about that document, too, was that whenever you come across a document, take a copy at that time copy it several times take pictures send it to your people because you will most likely not find that thing again it is meant for you in that time and for some reason it will probably disappear so i remember my cousin saying oh i'll make a copy of it and i'll send it to you and i was like mommy no 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 we're taking pictures right now and, and I,
1: I remember saying, oh, well, that's fine. You know, Valerie, right. you can send it to us. And Raina, Raina was like, no, we're taking pictures of this book right this minute.
0: Right. And insisting. And and my cousin did. She sent the, the copies later. She did. But, you know, life is busy. Um, so if it's not the thing disappears for some reason, it's that people get caught up in other stuff. And so what you have asked for and that they absolutely have an intention to send to you or share with you, you know, the, the baby's tooth fell out or, or somebody got married. <laughs> like it, Things happen. So it's better to, in that moment, when you have the time, you're focusing on your research anyway, just take the picture, make the copies, and I truly believe when you make the copies, you make enough so that you can share it with at least one other person.
1: And this document got us back to yes. the slave... History, the slave masters, the, that part of our history, the ones that that left the country and went to which island did they go to, and then then left and oh, came yeah. back. The 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 part of the family that has all these Spanish surnames. Yes, they went I, to
0: Hispaniola. So um, now the Dominican Republic and Haiti, um,
1: they um, which is spaces. the wit- witchcraft connection.
0: Yeah, that's what we think. <laughs> that's what we think. Um, and that the ancestors who um, kept our other ancestors in bondage, which is a wild thing to, to, to claim and recognize that our ancestors were on both sides of this um, inhumanity and atrocity. Um, but our ancestors who um, kept our other ancestors in captivity, um, they had lots of land. And with the um, Haitian Revolution in particular, they had to uproot and move to St. Augustine in um, Florida. And um, I I, I think that's the proper pronunciation of the city. I've never been there, so it might be St. Augustine. Um, But um, they went there, and many of their children actually have um, Spanish um, first names. Um, because I'm assuming that they also spoke Spanish, many of their other partners also had Spanish names um, so but the records, that there was one record that I found that spoke to how they moved to Florida and were able to uproot and steal a number of people with them, um, which I think about with such great sorrow of how many people were able to be free because of revolution and the deep loss and grieving and hurt of those people who um were uprooted from the possibility of freedom um and the generations that that
1: waited much longer um and that part of the family since i have found a whole book on them yeah. so there's there was a book that was self published that that talks about this whole family and so that has appeared out of nowhere as well.
0: And it's wild to be able to say, okay, I can research through this line because of their wealth, um, the, the generations before and before and before. And so one of those books we, we found in the local library, um, in the county library, um, and were able to look back at generation after generation of those lines, the hills, and the Richardsons, in particular, and to connect them to the Revolutionary War and service um, within um, that war.
1: Um, I said to Raina at one point, "We could probably apply to be part of the Daughters of the American Revolution. <laughs> Not that we want to, <laughs> but we we probably could." <laughs> yes, yes, and
0: and they're part of the Ancestry um, dot com. Resources that many people um, have also publicized their um, Daughters of the American Revolution, Sons of the American Revolution um, applications with all of their records of genealogical connection. And so it's another confirmation of this line within our history. It was um, fascinating, fascinating. And some of the things that we've shared with you so far are Okay, taking the trip, going to South Carolina, learning from our relatives about um, methods of organization, learning from the historical archives where to find more information with deeds that you can discover from plaques. There are so many techniques for discovering, you know, even just going to your cousin's house and taking pictures along the way and insisting on, holding that information and sharing it in the
1: moment and wanted to uplift those things. In our second visit, we did more interviewing of individuals. Yes. So the second visit, we actually interviewed my sister who was raised down south, and so she gave us information. And then we interviewed... We, we went to a, a cousin who owns a funeral home who used to actually be the mayor of Saluda.
0: So let me stop, stop you there. <laughs> so how do we end up at the funeral home? Um, was because we had seen in a number of death records that our relatives were um, memorialized, funeralized through a particular funeral home, which has the same name as our family, the Logan Funeral Home. And I was like, Mommy, we're related somehow. And maybe they have records, obituaries, something like that, where we can look and see about our uh, family's past, who they're related to. And this is the moment as well of preparation really paying off. I had gone um, and assembled, um, had at the ready, rather, uh my ancestry um, listing of all of our people on the Logan side. And so I call the funeral home, say, we want to go and do an interview. And uh, Mr. Logan, who goes by Logan, um, said, okay, and gave us, like was very short and gave us a time to come by. We go, he's not there yet. We wait a little bit, he comes. And the first picture, first thing that we see as we go into The funeral home is a picture of our great, great, many times great grandfather, Harry Logan, who we've mentioned before, who founded, who was one of the founding members of the um, Lockhart Baptist Church. We see this colorized picture of him that I had seen many times, and I said, that's Harry Logan, and he said, yes, that's where we get all this from, that's who we come from, and we sat with him and began conversation, and at first, he was kind of short. And um, like not it just it's, it's really pointed um, person, very personable, very social, like welcoming. But like he, he doesn't say as much. And then we get to talking and he mentions a few names um, like Talmadge, who is my great grandfather's uh, great grandmother's brother. And I'm like, oh, yes, I know him and his children and, and I'm listing people. And then slowly, Logan starts to open up, and we find out about him being a former mayor <laughs> of the community. Um, and we he calls everybody. He calls everybody. Next thing you know, we're talking to a relative in, in Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> and um, he's got another one on the phone. And we're hearing all these stories that we never heard before about the Logans and the Satterwhites. And there's the butlers who are also part of this community, who used to have a funeral home in that community, we're finding out all these stories. And next thing you know, we're in Logan's car, <laughs> and we're riding, we're riding around the community. And you know, we just met him like two hours before, um, or so. And we're riding around, and he's showing us exactly where our great, great, many times great grandfather had his blacksmith shop. And where um, the business was, and where his home was, and where his field was, and we're finding out all this information. It,
1: it was it was pretty amazing. The blacksmith shop that was yeah. owned by uh, my great great, I you know I get all the greats confused. Grandfather was. Who was a Saddle White was sold to Talmadge Logan. Right. And so, again, this passing back and forth with land and property, and pieces of it are still there. We yeah. have a picture of the old blacksmith shop. It said where he took us to where my grandparents great great grandparents' house would have been, so we were we were everywhere, actually driving quite precariously through <laughs> Saluda, South Carolina, as he was trying to, and it was probably a hundred degrees trying to show us all over the place, yes, this property he didn't want to let us go, and because he was so happy, I think to talk to his family about family history. And and we learned that because of all this drama that had occurred in my mother's family very early on, many of them did not even know that my grandmother had two children, my mother and my aunt. And so we were a new discovery to some parts of the family that didn't even know we existed. And so... They have they were very welcoming to to learn more about their history. He saw that I was also quite organized with this whole binder right. of information on the family and actually told other family members that I had a book. and yes. some of them have tried to buy the book <laughs> and And I keep saying it's not a written book. It's just a whole lot of documents on the family. so it it was fascinating. And we also interviewed a daughter of my great aunt. And she gave us another part of the history. We interviewed one of my cousins and she gave us part, but all of it fit together. So the stories, one person told one piece and then the next person added to it. And I don't know that it was planned that way, but what, where one person stopped, another person added to the story. And we got this very expansive history from especially the Saddlewhite side of the family while we were in South Carolina. So it was great to actually interview people. And we need, we couldn't find the Saddlewhite graveyard, so the next time we go back, we'll, take, we'll hook up with my cousin so they can find this graveyard for us because I, my suspicion is it's not as well maintained as the one at Lockhart Baptist Church.
0: Yeah, and and one thing that I've been thinking about is around the preservation even of those oral histories. So, as we were talking to our relatives, one thing I continued to ask was, "Can I record you?" And recording those interviews and having them transcribed. Sure. It's money because for me, sure, I could I could transcribe them myself and listen to the recording over and over again. And there are professionals who specialize in that area. And so I was able to find a service, in this case, Rev.com, paid the money so that we have transcriptions of the interviews, which can be, again, shared, emphasizing, again, what we learn should be shared so that it doesn't belong to just one person because it doesn't belong to just one person or two people. It belongs to all of us and our history has an impact on our communities, right? One thing that we learned along the way is how intertwined our relatives were with the functioning and thriving of communities. Our ancestor, Harry Logan, was a blacksmith. Our ancestor, Pinckney Satterwhite, was a blacksmith. There was generally only one of those at a time in a county. So had these important roles within the functioning of the county, and, and so even thinking about, again, Harry Logan creating a church, and we learn later that um, Pinckney Satterwhite also had a still, like different sides <laughs> of the community functioning of um, joy and celebration and spiritual communion, whatever it is, but a, an embeddedness in the community. And that is, is something that's worthy of preserving being re- remembered in archive.
1: Well, another thing we learned about Harry Logan was the fact that he lost an arm because yes. he was a runaway and how he still continued to blacksmith with one arm, but right. he was determined to be free, and his arm was taken because he tried to run away.
0: Well, and and part of that may even be confirmed by, and that's one oral history interview that gave us that information. We had never heard of that or seen that before. But it seems interesting to me, at least, when you look at the 1870 census, which is the first one where um, formerly enslaved uh, black peoples are listed by name and age and occupation and marital status, that he is listed with all of his children, and many of them have different last names, which often was a, a practice To um, be assigned the name of the last name of the person who was holding you in captivity, um, the plantation owner, quote. Um, And so the idea that perhaps his children were either sold away from him or lived in connection with other um, peoples is confirmed in some way through the census. Now, whether they were all biological children or children that he um, engaged in the raising of in some way that I don't know um, because that would be in align- in alignment with someone who is deeply invested in community and spiritual practice and fostering in some way, right? Community. I don't know, but there is something there around the consequence of freedom and also his resistance and resilience in reclaiming family and isn't that part of what we're doing as ancestral recovery as ancestor recovery and reclaiming the names and learning the history and sharing it with you
1: and that Logan name is not the name of the enslaver because he was adamant that he would not take that person's name and I can't remember the story of whose name that is that there is someone whose name that was, but he refused to take the name of the slaveholder.
0: Yes, because that name would have been Richardson. Um, and if the the oral history is correct, that would have been the name of the same person who took his
1: arm, right? Took his freedom, took his children, um, took his arm. And it was a son or a daughter or the wife of uh, the, uh, the, the son? The wife of, the, that's right. That was the person who deeded property to him. So mm-hmm. they they did their own um, form of reparations, I guess, and gave him some land to start this church. But I, which I, we
0: discovered in the deed, we we did find that deed within the Saluda County um, courthouse, and were able to track how he got the land. And that was actually a question that I'd been holding since the first time that we went. To Saluda, which was, or to South Carolina, because I had found that the land had originally been given by a Richardson, but I wasn't sure who. And I was really interested in who that person was.
1: And again, we found that on the satellite side, they came out of slavery with land. And that was a, a remark that was made in one of our interviews. How did they come out with property? How did they come out with land? Yes. And so, uh, you know, my my great grandfather Pinckney's father was enslaved, but yet he had property when when he came out of slavery. And so, unfortunately, most of that land is now gone, except for what the Logans. Uh, Own, which is the funeral home and some of the property, a store, some other uh, areas around that same area they own. But that, like the stories of so many African Americans who did acquire land, much of that land has disappeared.
0: Well, and one of the lessons that Logan, who um, owns and runs the funeral home in Saluda, mentioned was a lesson from his father, and I'm sure from many generations before, which is the one thing that man cannot make, humanity cannot make, is land. They cannot make water. And so when you have an opportunity to buy land, especially with access to water, that's what you should do. And that was one lesson that he was like, I was young when my father told me that, and I didn't realize the importance of it, and now I do. But I think about that as a lesson that may have been generationally passed of when you have an opportunity to own land, that is what you do because that you cannot make. And we see that dedication to making sure that land has been acquired and properly
1: transferred in the deeds. And apparently in Saluda there, it he seemed to hint that there was some ongoing discussions to put in quotes about what has happened to some of that land because he showed us places that land was in dispute. Mm-hmm. And so there he, he was kind of curious what we would find or the reception when we started digging around the Saluda courthouse yeah. about property and land.
0: So I think those lessons of how to go about um, connecting with your people, thinking about interviewing, how to hold a question on a journey. We've talked a little bit about interviews and connecting with state archives, how they might lead you to local county archives, and uplifting conversation with folks who might have a connection, even going to the funeral home, right? Right. You know, in your case, you might not have a person who has the same last name, but you might find in the death certificates where your people were funeralized and that even making that contact, if the funeral home still exists, they might have obituaries, they might have other documents that give you an idea of the connections between people and that may open up so much more. Um, of course, newspapers often publish obituaries as well, and that lists the folks who have been left behind or predeceased the um, ancestor who you are exploring. Uh, and that gives you an idea of relationships. Sometimes you can go a generation back or a generation forward just from that information.
1: And now online, there is findagrave.com. Yes. You can find the actual gravestones that may help to validate some of the dates, some of the names. And, and so some whole cemeteries have everybody listed. Somebody has taken the time to go through stone by stone and list all the people at that site. And you can find that information. Counties now have genealogical sites I know in Fayette County they list the names of again somebody's taken the time to do this, but they've listed the names and the dates of birth and death for people in the county. So there is a lot a lot more information online.
0: So that's the end of this episode where we focus on the journey to South Carolina. And we hope that you'll join us at the next. In the meantime, you can support us on Patreon, as well as sharing the news about this podcast and offering comments wherever you have listened for what you've learned from this podcast and perhaps even about employing our methods into your own journey of discovery of your ancestors, whether they be biological or philosophical, right? Um, Our ancestors are not just connected to us by blood or fostering. Um, So please do share with us your discoveries so that we can celebrate. Ask us your questions. You can ask them on Patreon. You can ask them on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. You can also check us out on our website, storyjoyinc.com, where you can listen to our podcast. So many ways to stay connected on Instagram as well. Um, And we look forward to continuing our relationship with you. And thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.